It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. Once again, I welcome you to another Estate Planning Essentials program, mightily efforting to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm virtually sitting here with my co-host, my attorney, Michael C. Cohen. Hello, Michael. Well, my middle initial is B, so what is the C for? And uh, I'm always curious, is it for the cold or is it for something else? I good, good, good guess. And you even said a C word, which is curious. So there are lots of C's there, but curious, sure. Cold, absolutely. COVID, of course. Cohen, I mean, we could be here all day. And, of course, courageous. And that's what we all have to be these days because as we produce this show today, Michael, it's about 20 degrees out and we just experienced one of the worst storms Dallas, Texas has ever seen, basically. And uh, I certainly hope you're safe and well. Yeah, I'm I'm doing fine. And, and of course, um, the show is, is also going to air uh, on Monday and Tuesday when we're all thawed out. Hopefully uh, it won't be the sea for catastrophes for all the pipes work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I sure hope so, too. Today, we want to talk about a celebrity or two. I guess we'll just preface by indicating that we are saddened by the loss of Rush Limbaugh, 70 years old. Somebody once told me, Michael, if it weren't for Rush Limbaugh, there would be no more AM radio. He did oh. what he did 20 years ago in four, 20, or 30 years is basically save that spectrum with his talk show that was syndicated all over the country. Quite often in radio, you don't have to pay for a program like that uh, or pay for syndicated programs. Well, that one you did because he was so special and unique. But uh, there's another broadcasting icon named Larry King, who also just recently passed away. And we don't know about Rush Limbaugh, but Larry King, I'm not really sure yet, Michael, you're the expert, but he may have left a mess for some people. Larry King wrote a handwritten will after he had filed from uh, for divorce from his seventh wife, Sean. Uh, yeah. And they had it in 2015, as she said, they had an airtight estate plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she was omitted from the handwritten will that was written two months after he had filed for divorce. So she's contesting the will. The will said everything goes to his five children. He had two children with Sean mm-hmm. and three children from prior wives. Uh, as I said, he was married seven times. Mm-hmm. And the so now two of those uh, five children actually died in 2020. And so uh, normally when you have uh, somebody who passes, you say what happens if that person should pre-decease you. Right. Now, he had a handwritten will, so I don't know what he said in mm-hmm. his. Uh, normally, you say, well, it goes to that person's children, should they have children, or it goes to the survivors, the surviving residuary beneficiaries. 
In other words, the other three surviving children. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not sure what he did in his handwritten will, but you know, if he wrote it himself, it's likely it's just going to go to the surviving children mm-hmm. because he probably didn't put down the contingencies that you know normally uh, an estate planning attorney would probably put in. Does that, Michael, imply that the handwritten will is valid or invalid? I guess it depends on the state. Uh, a handwritten will could be certainly valid. They have submitted uh, the son, I believe his name was Larry King Jr., a hard name for uh, me to remember sure. because it, <laughs> it's the same name. Uh, but the, uh, I think he submitted the application for uh, probate of the will, and it has been contested by her already mm-hmm. uh, because, of course, she said it's based on principle and that she said for various reasons uh, mm-hmm. uh, that it should be contested. Uh, you know, of course, when you do a new will, it supersedes prior wills. Now, she thought that it was a, and it was a secret to her. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, this is a secret will, and uh, he must not have known what he's doing, etc. There are a lot of different equitable arguments that are always made when somebody wants to contest a will. And so right. the the way that you do it is that you say that the, it was no good basically to begin with. So then it goes reverts back to the old will. So I don't know what the old will said, but presumptively she would have been a much more beneficiary, if not fully a beneficiary. Let me ask the chronology real fast, though. You filed for divorce or got divorced when, and then he, when did he create his handwritten will? Well, he filed for divorce in August of 2019. 19, okay. And he wrote a his handwritten will, his new will, was dated October 17th, 2019. Mm. Oh. Yeah, so two months after, fresh off of the, uh, and he's the one who filed for divorce. Now, she said, oh, but we've been very friendly. And uh, he, his last words were, uh, take care of the kids. He had two children uh, with his marriage with Sean. Of course, he was older uh, when he had children with her. So he's got, I mean, because he died at like age 87. Yeah. And uh, he has two children, one that are from with her. One's mm-hmm. 21 and one that's 20. Uh, so he was married to her, uh, you know, about 22 years. And so, anyway, so uh, he has two children with her, and they, those two children have survived, and there's one other child that's survived, and that's Larry King Jr. Now, she says that her kids are on board with her contesting the will, because, of course, uh, that's her mom, but uh, that would mean that she would probably, my guess would be that she would get much more than uh, she'd maybe get everything. Who knows? You know, she's definitely is pointing her fingers at Larry King Jr. Uh, mm-hmm. Because she thinks that, uh, in fact, one of the things that she said was that he had, uh, that uh, Larry King had given his son, Larry King Jr., $266,000 from 2013 to 2018 with community property funds. And so she feels like that she wants one half of that back. So she's saying that, oh, you know, and it's a very common thing. Probate litigators do this all the time. It's it's usually you have to say when it's not a good will, you have to say why it's not a good will. 
well, did he have a stroke and did he lack mental capacity? Did he have testamentary capacity? Did he know who the bounty of inspection was? Did he know who, um, you know, you know, what was going on, basically? Did he have an idea what his assets were? In this case, he named his children, and he just filed for divorce. So you could make certainly make the argument that, yeah, he knew what he was doing, and he was just upset. You know, he, the court's not up to the court to decide whether you, you know, what you want to do. It's up to you to decide what you want to do. Right. Uh, uh, but there, she's going to obviously say that he lacked testamentary capacity. So they would look at his health um, uh, to see if he did he have a stroke right before he signed the will. I mean, mm-hmm. he had a stroke um, in recent years, so it is possible that that is the case. Did it mean that he didn't know what he was doing? I don't know. It was a handwritten will. You could almost see if it's a handwritten will, you could probably see if it was uh, shaky handwriting. Uh, mm-hmm. It was his handwriting. You would have in Texas. You would have to have somebody say, yeah, that was his handwriting. You know, a lot of times title companies, when they see shaky handwriting, they, like, let's say you're going to sign a deed, they might check to see if the person had mental capacity. Because mm-hmm. if they're issuing title on real estate, uh, they want to make sure that you knew what you were doing when you signed it. Right. And so, so testamentary capacity, as we've talked about on several other shows, there's different types of capacity. There's contractual capacity, donative capacity testamentary capacity. Uh, actually, the interesting thing is that donative capacity, if you're giving away assets, has a higher level of capacity needed than testamentary capacity. Why is that? Yeah, because they don't want you to give away your assets during their lifetime because we feel like you need to take care of yourself. Oh. Yeah. So, so surprising. So a lot of times when we talk, you know, when we do uh, wills, when the, somebody has questionable capacity, what we generally do is we get a, a geriatric psychiatrist or psychologist or neurologist to sign an affidavit saying that they examine the person at the time that they signed whatever document it may be, and that at that time, or hopefully simultaneously, that they had enough capacity to execute the will or whatever, or power of attorney, whatever it may document may be, so that... Uh, if it was contested, at least on the capacity issue, that the pers- we had an expert who could testify that the person had enough capacity at the time that they signed that document, whether it be a will or a trust or financial power of attorney or any of the other types of estate planning documents that we normally do. But on the other hand, it's not just testamentary capacity, but the other thing would be that is commonly uh, alleged is undue influence. Are you being unduly influenced by somebody else? Mm-hmm. Was Larry King there and said, you need to sign this, Dad, uh, whatever. Of course, he didn't just say to Larry King. Uh, you know, we remember uh, I told the story with you on shows many years ago and uh, about a woman, who, an elderly lady who came to my office with no teeth. And she had like seven kids, and uh, the only asset she had was really her home. And uh, I asked her, I said, can you tell me who would you like your home to go to? And she answered, she answered but I couldn't understand her because she had no teeth. 
and I said, oh, pardon me, I guess I'm getting, I, I, I must be having trouble with my hearing today. Uh, can you t- repeat to me, uh, who do you want the home to go to? Now, normally, we when there a lot of times if there's somebody that um, you don't, that you usually don't want a child to be with you uh, in the when you're going through whoever you know, is telling you what you want things to go. But in this case, she was elderly, and I couldn't understand her. And so uh, after the second time when I didn't understand her, I asked the daughter. I said, "I'm sorry, I couldn't understand her." Can you tell me who she who she said she wanted the home to go to? She said, "Oh, it's all to go to me." <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the, so that would be a situation of undue influence. <laughs> so, uh, and so we would not, you know, obviously we wouldn't do that. Will in that situation that because that would be you could see that that was undue influence. So you know, a lot of times people have made the mistake. Uh, you know, like sometimes they film wills, yep. uh, do a video. And so let's say if you have an elderly or somebody who's uh, uh, somebody who has declining uh, mental capacity that have to be elderly. And uh, I remember seeing a, a film once of a video of an elderly person and they had their son while the uh, attorney was taping the uh, or videoing the uh, will signing. Mm-hmm. And the mom says to the son during the will signing, now, she says, son, now who do you want this to go to? I mean, you see, that that would be something that the video would not be very good. No. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> right. so, that's un- uh, that's undue, undue influence, I think you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely undue influence. Uh, but undue influence, um, uh, uh, capacity, duress. If somebody says, I'm not going to take care of you or you're not gonna, I'm not going to do this or that or do something for you if you don't sign this thing that says, it all goes to me, or a greater portion goes to me, and you know, or something that uh, is not necessarily a gun to the head, but you feel like that that person was under duress, and so it would not be a valid will. And of course, if it's not a valid will, then you go back to the prior will that was valid, and it would go according to those terms. And that is what Sean King is trying to do. Fascinating. You know, it probably was a mistake for what Larry did to have two competing wills, one handwritten, one official document, I guess, typed electronically, et cetera. And these things happen. People forget what they've done, change their minds. But and is it a money grab from the son and or from the ex-wife or the other kids? I don't know. But uh, whichever the case, you don't want this to happen when you pass away. And the best way to prevent that is to attend Michael's next workshop. Now, we're doing this program via telephone. We can't do them in person because of COVID and now because of the cold, too. Uh, At the same time, Michael is also doing the workshops not over telephone, but virtually, basically through Zoom. And that allows you to attend Michael's next workshop online uh, through a video conference, basically, which, again, is called Zoom, which everyone knows. And that next workshop is Tuesday. March the 2nd at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And, Michael, tell them all about the workshop. Well, we ask people what they want to know. Is it about wills? Is it about trust? And, by the way, Larry King had a trust, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Okay. Uh, is, it, is it about powers of attorney? Is it about Medicaid? Is it about veterans' benefits? Is it about 
you know, what is it the goals of the client may be? And we just find out, try to find out what people are wanting to know. Is it something about possible changes in the tax laws with, with uh, President Biden? Is it going to be, you know, what is it that we're, whatever questions that people might ask, you never know uh, because it varies each time at each workshop because everybody has their own questions. Uh, I know we, I was telling you uh, on last week's show that the prior workshop, the first time somebody had asked us about community administration. Well, most people don't know what a community administration even is. And so uh, so I'm sure that you would learn from somebody else if that was an, an issue. In most cases, it's not. But it could be any number of things, and that's what I'm trying to say. We don't know what the people are going to ask, but the good thing is for the uh, participants, you get to ask whatever is important to you, and then I will answer it in within those two hours. So we ask people what they want to know, uh, and if you go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, then you also will get a free vision meeting where if you go over your individual situation uh, and see in even more detail to make sure that your goals are being met. To attend the free estate planning essentials workshop and getting that free vision meeting, uh, three free hours of estate planning without any obligation, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at Dallas Elder. Lawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And you'll get, uh, I think you'll be, uh, hopefully that you'll learn something and have some fun along the way. And it's without any obligation and it's without any charge. Yes, yeah, two hours from the comforts of your own home uh, for that virtual workshop Tuesday, March the 2nd at 1 o'clock. I'll be sure to sign up for that. Um, space fills up. And of course, it's free. And you get to ask a question about your individual circumstances and um, when I was in graduate school and we talked about communication law and obscenity and decency, I remember one of the teachers um, mentioning that the Supreme Court um, decided um, how to basically pinpoint um, what obscenity or indecency was. And in the very end, it was a classic answer. They said, well, we're not really sure, but we'll know it when we see it. <laughs> and that was just, that was it. That was the Supreme Court, Michael, what, 30 years ago, 40 years ago or so. And you're the same way. You don't necessarily start rolling out all these principles and rules and laws and regulations. But when these people present to you their situation, you'll know it when you see it. And you almost always have a solution, no matter what. And everyone will see how capable you are, even when it seems like it's a situation where you have to square the circle. You do that. And I think the audience really appreciates that. Now, I don't, I don't think you're Larry King's estate attorney. I don't think you're Larry King Jr.'s attorney, but you did mention the ostensible news that he also had a trust. Is that good or bad? Well, it's, I think it's good because really it's kind of it, the, the thing here is that when you have a trust, first of all, if people contest a trust, but I don't know that they're contesting any trust. The only thing I know is they're contesting the will. So it's not like he revised the trust. And really, the bulk mm -hmm. of his assets were in a trust. Mm -hmm. and he had actually several trusts. And oh. uh, there's been no news of, of – of, and, and so he may have had different trusts for different children. He may have had different trusts for his wife. I'm not really sure because, you see, with the trust, it's private. That's one of the advantages of a trust. And I think he, he probably lived in California, and 
you know, in California, and I'm not licensed in California, but a lot of people have trust because it's really even more, much more difficult to probate a will there and the time that it takes there yeah. than it does in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any event, so uh, on the, the part that Sean King was contesting, the will, it was only over $2 million. And I know right. that sounds like a lot to a lot of people, but mm-hmm. compared to the remainder of his estate, it was really not that much because he had a hundred. He supposedly had net worth of around 144 million. Wow! So, so the great majority of the money were held in trust, and nobody's, to my knowledge, contesting that. And so, with a trust, you know, you get to make your own rules. You have privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, somebody's immediately in charge when you die if you weren't in charge. Uh, and so you don't have to go by the state's rules. So a lot of people prefer to have trust uh, because uh, you, you can act quicker. You can transfer ongoing businesses quicker. Mm-hmm. You could have uh, – it, it's harder – you know, with a will, you have an opportunity to contest on whose name is the executor. There's a time frame before you could have a hearing. Mm-hmm. You have to go by the state's laws, and everything is public. Uh, like we said just a second ago, with the trust, it's not. So, and was it uh, revocable or revocable trust? Do we know, and does it matter? It doesn't really matter because they're they're private, and so when Got they're it. private, it's just it's just uh, the way it is. Mm. So um, the so so bottom line, uh, you know, the great majority of his assets were protected. So you could say, well, maybe he would, maybe he knew what he was doing. He said, gee, uh, I gave too much to Sean. I <laughs> You know, he just filed for divorce, so anything is possible. And uh, so, you know, a lot of times people uh, prefer trust because they do give a lot more flexibility. And, uh, you see, a trust never dies or becomes disabled. People do. So a trust is also good if you're disabled. So if he had lost mental capacity, then whoever the trustee would be was, even if he was the original trustee, there is a pecking order as to who's in charge of the assets to make sure that they're uh, whatever is taken care of uh, the way he wants, that he gets to say that in his trust, and he does it under his own terms and conditions. And so I think that the great majority of his assets really were uh, probably uh, taken care of in a way that was fine. It's just this $2 million, which to a lot of people may seem like a lot, but was nothing compared to the size of his estate. Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you one question, because you you bring to mind a a thought, and that is, if it were me, and I'm no attorney, of course, but if it were me, I would argue that a handwritten will could be more valid, because he wrote it. This was straight from his head versus another will, Mike, where he just signs, which takes him one second, and someone could move his arm if he was incapacitated. But I would think a handwritten will might be more valid. What do you think? Well, I mean, the problem with handwritten wills is usually that people make mistakes because they're not thinking like, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, a handwritten will is valid in Texas, but Mm -hmm. then you have a harder burden of proof. You have to, hey, first of all, have somebody prove that it was that person's handwriting. Mm -hmm. Second of all, you know, it's just like we were talking about earlier. They don't think about all the different contingencies. Uh, You know, for example, if you had real estate that was outside the trust, then the problem is is that, like, for example, in Texas, you have to say that there's a power to sell the property. If you mm-hmm. don't have that power to sell inside the will, then you have to get a court approval, and then that costs more to the estate. Right. And in addition to that, a lot of times people don't have all the 
the other requirements that are in Texas. Usually, a lot of times, of course, you'd rather have a couple witnesses, a notary, make sure the person was over 18, the witnesses over age 14, and, uh, that, you know, uh, handwritten wills, they have their own, there's different rules. The good news mm-hmm. is in Texas, you know, there's specific rules about, uh, handwritten wills, so that could mm-hmm. be valid. Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe maybe so and you know like you said before we don't know because we don't know what was in his mind at the time yeah. although although he was fresh off of a divorce yeah or, or and he never got divorced by the way uh, really so that, yeah he never got divorced oh, and so she was saying we were good friends we talked all the time interesting and he never mentioned anything this was a secret and that's why it was undue influence and I for the principle of the matter. I want to go after this um, $2 million uh, uh-huh. in his estate that was in the trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so who knows? Who knows? I, I don't, we'll, I guess time will tell as the testimony comes out uh, as to what really occurred, but, or what will be decided. It could be that she has um, a lot of money uh, from maybe one of the trusts, and maybe <laughs> she might have more money to fight than the right. And we know that her two, her two uh, sons will not fight. So the question would be, if Larry King Jr., how much they will fight over the two million dollars, or not, and will, or if or maybe there'll just be some sort of settlement, just because, yeah. <laughs> quite frankly, the attorneys' fees uh, add up, yeah. and uh, uh, so it may seem like a lot to most people, but when you start going into a lengthy litigation, it gets to be pretty expensive, and so sometimes it's um, unfortunately, but. Uh, maybe things are settled just because to be settled just because the cost. Right. One last question before we wrap up. And if Larry hadn't created that handwritten will, there wouldn't be a problem, would there? No, there wouldn't. And normally when you have a trust, like when you have a revocable trust, for example, that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. you have what's called a poor over will, mm-hmm. a poor over will. Remember last week we talked about uh, a situation where somebody had found some money that um, the husband died and there was an insurance policy and it would have gone to the wife mm-hmm. under laws of intestacy. Mm-hmm. She had funded her trust completely, but nobody knew about this life insurance policy that was probably done decades ago. And the uh, to as a result, normally when you do a revocable living trust, you have a will that says in case there's something that we didn't know about or that we forgot to put in the trust, it pours into, you probate the will, so it pours into the trust. Uh, Got it. So, so it probably would have gone into a certain type of trust, is my guess, without seeing the documents, but that's normally what occurs. So okay. usually, you, even when you have a trust, you normally have a will, because the biggest mistake that people make is failing to fund a trust. In other words, failing to yeah. retitle the assets into the name of the trust. Yep, we learned that. You've taught Sarah and me that. Um, you helped us create our will and trust years ago, uh, helped us amend it, and now we started again this month to update it because of the changes that have happened around us. And so thankfully, uh, we think everything is, is going to be perfect soon, thanks to you, um, in order to make certain that your will, your estate plan, is exactly the way you want it, attend Michael's next virtual workshop. It's online, it's via Zoom, and it's really easy. Sign up today to, for Tuesday, March the 2nd at 1 o'clock. Dial 214-720-0102-214-720-0102. Go to DallasElderLawyer.com, Dallas Elder 
lawyer.com. Michael Cohen, we thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. A leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214 214- That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770 KAAM for six years, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it is done your way and sign up for his next workshop today 